0: bridge over troubled water. And even if you hadn't been born at that time, you'll have heard from it since. And there's a track in that album called Keep the Customer Satisfied. And it has this line in it. It's a line which sums up one view of the Bible. And the line runs, I get slandered, libeled. I hear words I never heard in the Bible, just trying to keep the customer satisfied. The contrary view of what's in the Bible can be found in the words of whichever acerbic literary critic it was, who, reviewing a particularly salacious novel, condemned it as a story fit only For the Bible. What do we find in the Bible? Do we find good things and just good things, or do we find bad things or a mix of the two? Uh, Well, um, the passage which we looked at tonight has really got some fairly shocking events in it. And let's take it as it comes and let's start with Lot's daughters. Lot's daughters had had a pretty bad time of things, really. If you remember and wind back just a little bit uh, in their lives to the time when two angels came to visit Lot in the town of Sodom. The men of Sodom demanded that Lot send the two men out of his house So that it was quite a lot of men, there was a sort of minor riot going on outside his house. They demanded that Lot send the two men out, basically so that they could be gang-raped. Lot, who is anxious to be hospitable to these two men because they're his guests, makes the most extraordinary offer to the mob. He offers to send out his unmarried daughters in their place. Thankfully, the angels deal with the mob, and they drag Lot and his daughters, his daughter's fiancés, and Lot's wife out of Sodom to safety. And now we meet up with Lot again in the hills. The daughter's mother is dead, and their fiancés have disappeared, and they're anxious to have children. And so Lot's daughters conceive, that's not the right word really, is it, Um, draw up this um, extraordinary plan to have incestuous sex with their father. And each of them gives birth to a son. And then we come to Abraham, who tries to pass off his wife, the beautiful Sarah, as his sister. And he does this because he fears for his own life, if it is known that they are married. Uh, He's tried this, you'll remember, with Pharaoh in Egypt. Well, this time it once again ends unhappily. Abimelech discovers Sarah. He has her abducted into his harem. Uh, But before he can take her to bed with him, uh, God explains to Abimelech, that Sarah is in actual fact a married woman. And Abimelech is both embarrassed and angry about this. Marriage is held in high esteem uh, at this time. And you'll note, you'll remember from the reading, that actually we learn that the sin is not just against Sarah, that's what we read in verse 16, but it's a sin against God as well, which we read in verse 6. And the result is uh, that Abimelech has to pay a huge amount, cattle and sheep, male slaves, female slaves and a thousand shekels of silver to to vindicate Sarah and to repay the offense. He even has to uh, offer to uh, Abraham um, the right to live anywhere uh, within his country. But the last part of tonight's reading is much much happier. Sarah gives birth to Isaac and Isaac brings laughter to her and to everyone around her. So we see that the Bible is about real life. It's about longings and desires. It's about fears, weaknesses, it's about sex and about deception. Let's ask ourselves now whether or not any good comes of these events. Why are we told about them? And how do these events fit into the broad sweep of Scripture? Lot's daughters give birth to one son each. The elder daughter's son is Moab, and he becomes the father of the Moabites, and that part of um, the uh, eastern end of the Mediterranean, uh, called at that time after him. It's called the land of Moab. And the younger gives birth to Ben Ammi, and he becomes the father of a, a grouping of people, of a tribe of people, the Ammonites. But you know, things don't go well in those younger generations either. The Moabites turn out to be quite a tricky lot. Later on, they will bar the Israelites from crossing their their territory. Their king will call on Balaam, the prophet, to curse Israel. They will wage wars against King Saul. They will conspire with the Ammonites and the Edomites against King Jehoshaphat. And we read frequent prophecy and divine judgment being called down On them. The Ammonites are just as bad. They wage war with King David. They worship the idol Molech in ceremonies which include child sacrifice. And they also worship fertility gods. And when Nehemiah returns from exile to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, it's Tobiah the Ammonite who is one of those who make life very, very difficult for him. But it's not all bad. If we fast forward a few generations, we come to the book of Ruth. Now, Ruth, you'll remember, is a Moabite. You'll remember that she's faithful to Naomi, her mother-in-law. When famine and crisis strikes, Naomi decides to leave Moab and to return to her native Bethlehem. And Ruth Goes with her. Ruth leaves Moab, and she goes into a foreign land. And the story of Ruth is lovely. My mother always used to say to me, "It's a great book. It's the shortest book in the Bible." Not that she wants to read the shortest book, but she said it is remarkable. It's the Book of Ruth is the shortest book in the Bible. It's a, lo- a lovely love story, and, and and it's tremendous to read. Uh, but there are other things than to it than being the shortest book and a beautiful love story. Ruth meets and she marries Boaz. And their son is Obed, and Obed is the father of Jesse, who in turn is the father of David, who in turn is the father of Solomon. Now, you can argue the toss as to which of David and Solomon was Israel's greatest king. They both had bad points, and they both had good points. But both were at the high point of Israel's power of Israel's power militarily, economically, and spiritually. They were at the high point of Israel's relationship with God. And as descendants of Ruth, David and Solomon have Moabite heritage, and their line goes back to Lot and his eldest daughter's incest. And Jesus is born of David's line. Jesus, too, has Moabite heritage. Good things can come from bad. Tremendously good things came from bad. The Ammonites, on the other hand, so far as I can tell from my researches, had few, if any, redeeming features. They were a constant thorn in the flesh of the Hebrews right down to the time of the Maccabees in about 200 B.C., and after that they disappear from the account. Not all bad things lead to notable good things, but good things can lead to bad things. I'm going to elide the two um, stories of Abraham passing off Sarah as his sister and the birth of Isaac and deal with them as one. Um, the birth of Isaac is the happy ending to this evening's readings. And Sarah gives birth to their first son in famously in her and in Abraham's old age. And Abraham and Sarah, obedient to what God told them earlier, they call him Isaac. And Isaac means he laughs. So, When Sarah actually said, you know, in verse 6, when she says, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me, what she actually said was, God has brought me Isaac, and everyone who hears about this will Isaac with me. If he'd been called Chuck, she'd have said, God has brought me Chuck, and everyone who hears about this will chuckle with me. But what is the application? What is the relevance of all this? Why is the story of Lot's daughters in the Bible at all? We learn from this that God can and does use bad things. David, the shepherd boy, David who vanquishes Goliath, David who soothes Saul's fits of madness, David who becomes king of Israel, and the whole Davidic line of of kingship springs from that incestuous act and god has done great things notwithstanding the morally repugnant and the taboo how does it play out today what do we take from that and apply to life around us i think this is a contemporary application in 2020 vaccines were developed against covid19 in record-breaking time in much, much less than one year, a process which normally takes 10 years came to pass. You don't need me to tell you that this is a good thing. However, as you may know, the AstraZeneca vaccine, and it must be said many other vaccines against other diseases, are manufactured using a cell line, which is derived from a human fetus, aborted in the Netherlands during the 1970s, and the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were designed—they not manufactured using the same cell line. Now, let me make it quite clear, as this is sensitive and controversial territory: the pregnancy was not. Well, the pregnancy was terminated lawfully and it was not terminated for research purposes. Let me also make it quite clear there are no cells from the fetus in the vaccine, and indeed there are no cells of any kind uh, forming part of the vaccine, the final vaccine formulation. But because of that link with an aborted fetus, some people, and there are bits of the um, social media media, uh, which are um alike with this. Some people are reluctant to take the vaccine because of the link with the abortion, uh, which is an act which they and many others think is bad. And this is where we get back to Lot's daughters and to the birth of Moab. We saw from that story that God uses bad things for great results. And it seems to me it's the same with the vaccine. and It's actually the same for all of us. Who of us is perfect? Who of us is innocent? Could any of us cast the first stone? But does that mean that God cannot do good things through any of us? You're probably a very reticent and humble Christian who doesn't think too highly of yourself. But don't worry, it doesn't mean that God is not going to use you. He has things for you to do. Well, before I draw stumps, let me just look for practical application from when Abraham passes off Sarah as his sister and from the birth of Isaac. Sarah is actually, we learn, Abraham's half-sister, She's also obviously absolutely stunningly gorgeous. But she's his wife too, and Abraham is afraid that the local ruler will kill him to get hold of his incredibly stunningly beautiful, gorgeous, attractive wife. If that were to happen, Abraham would not have any children, and Isaac would not be born. But God had by this time promised to Abraham that his descendants will outnumber the grains of sand on the shores of the oceans and the stars in the sky. So basically, when Abraham passes off his wife as his sister, he's just doubting God's word. He doesn't believe the promise. I think the conclusion from those... Last two incidents from the Abimelech, from the passing off and from from Isaac's wonderful, wonderful birth, uh, and the laughter which he brings, uh, is that God is trustworthy. God fulfils his promises. And their practical application to us, well God's greatest promise to us is that Jesus is the way, the way to the Father, the truth, and the life everlasting. And that's a promise which we shouldn't doubt. Uh, Well, I'll wrap up now. Here's my question to you. Simon and Garfunkel or the acerbic literary critic? Which one got it right? Words I never heard in the Bible or stories fit only for the Bible? To borrow a last tagline if you remember the news of the world um that um sunday newspaper which met its end uh only a few years ago mercifully you might say uh, the news of the world used to say of itself all human life is there well it may or may not have been in uh, the news of the world but all human life is most certainly uh, in the bible to which that phrase applies in spades we find good things and bad things there My ways are not your ways, says God. He can use bad things for good, uh, and he can use bad things for his purposes. Let's uh, pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, we come to you in humility. We come to you, Lord, uh, conscious of our own shortcomings, Uh, But nonetheless, with these examples before us, uh, we ask that you would use us for your purposes and take our imperfect lives, our imperfect existence, to further and to grow your kingdom. Amen.